Hi everyone, welcome to the podcast. Um, I'm Kevin Clifton, I suppose best known for being a professional dancer on Strictly Come Dancing. And um, I'm here with Rob Moore, who is a mentor of mine. Um, Rob, do you want to say who, who you are? Yeah, yeah, sure. So um, we thought it'd be really good for Kevin's first episode for him to be interviewed. Kevin's going to be interviewing many other people, but Kevin can't interview himself. So he, <laughs> he needed someone to do that job. I have a podcast. We're just up to our 400th episode, which actually, Kev, you're going to be on. Um, you, you do remember you're yes. at mine on Monday, yes. don't you? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so, yeah, I, I host a podcast called The Disruptive Entrepreneur. I've done lots of interviews. So um, Kevin has given me the, the responsibility, the heavy responsibility of interviewing him for his podcast. Um, I work with Kevin. I've helped him uh, with his property and his business. And now, of course, uh, we're helping him produce the podcast. So one of the most exciting things I've got going on right now is helping you produce your podcast. Um, so thanks for giving me the, um, the amazing role of, of interviewing you in your first show. Well, thanks for being here and uh, don't be too hard on me. <laughs> <laughs> so do you have a vision for your podcast then, other than me nagging you to do one? <laughs> is, is there like, um, you know, something you want to get out of doing a podcast? Because obviously there's quite a few podcasts out there. Yeah, well, a lot of it is, is, is just learning. Like, I just really like discussing what, what we do as performers and, and what we go through because like we sort of put ourselves out there to be kind of judged in front of a lot of people and a lot of performers are very insecure as a result of that and, and we're all a bit nuts and, um, and everyone has their different processes of, of, of how they go about it and not just their processes in any one job or performance but in, in terms of their career, how they, how they try and move forward in their career, what they work towards or whether they've just fallen into what they're doing um <clears throat> so i just wanted to sort of speak to loads of performers from all different backgrounds dancers actors singers um directors choreographers casting directors all, all of these kind of things from from all different walks of the performing world um and find out what their lives are like and, and what they go through and and how they think about things because because mm. I just really enjoy discussing it and I like hearing about it and, and, and one of the things with podcasts I'm obsessed with podcasts yeah you many podcast um hosts are podcast fans aren't they yeah you know, yeah I am definitely yeah, yeah. it's like uh, it's the one thing that I'm constantly doing so I've recently just been reading um the values factor mm. the book that you've been telling me to read for ages <laughs> what's the name Dr John Demartini yeah, yeah. um and doing all the exercises in that book when, when you're sort of writing things down he's asking you to write down some like it's, it's obviously it's determining what are your greatest values in life yeah. but it goes through the simple processes of you know what do you fill your space with what do you spend your time on your energy on what are the things that you just love doing yeah. the most without trying to <clears throat> think too much about turning it into like a career or anything just what do you like doing and the thing that I do the most is listen to podcasts all day, more than anything, more than dancing, more than watch football, more than, like I've just constantly got a podcast on. Like when I leave this interview to walk downstairs in this theatre to my dressing room, in that minute, two minutes that it takes me to get to the dressing room, there'll be two minutes of podcast on yeah. in my ears. Two times speed, yeah? <clears throat> no, I can't do that. <laughs> I find that really difficult. Um, but so like I'm just, I'm fascinated by them. I love listening to people, especially when people are just, rather than being like, oh yeah, I achieved this and I achieved that and I'm brilliant and this has been my brilliant career. Like, I really like listening to successful people being kind of vulnerable and, and, and saying, 
I went through this and this was actually really difficult and I was insecure about that. And, and I think listening to the, those people, it kind of helps you to understand that kind of they can go through, through that and, and achieve what they've done. Because you imagine all these successful people to be just <coughs> like they're just born yeah, machines. as a genius yeah. and, and as a machine. They work 24 hours a day and they're brilliant at what they do all the time. And then when you suddenly hear, oh, actually, they had all these insecurities about it and imposter syndrome, and they went into this big concert that they did with loads of fear and thought that they couldn't do it, and then then pulled off this amazing thing. Like, it kind of gives you, like, it sort of makes everyone human and, and gives you this hope that, like, that you can sort of do anything. Yeah. That you, that you can achieve anything you want. Oh, they just have the same thoughts as I do. Mm. Um, I find that so, so interesting. But why um, does someone like you, <clears throat> who just won Strictly and is right at the top of your game in your craft, why do you need to hear people say they struggle too? Is it because you experience those feelings yourself? Mm. <clears throat> yeah, so I'm, I'm, a, I'm a complete mess most of the time. Just make sure the label's <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no branding, yeah. no branding. Uh, <laughs> um, I'm a, I'm a complete mess most of the time. Um, I'm riddled with insecurity all the time. Um, always scared of, of, of what I'm doing or, or sort of other people's opinions all, all, all the time, like being uh, just a life of being judged. Um, constant imposter syndrome, constant anxiety. Why? I don't know. Um, perhaps it comes from when, when, when I was a kid, like from really early on, I've been a competitor. Every, everything was about um, doing dance competitions. And the thing with dance competitions is it's not, um, it's not like first past the line and you win or you score more goals than, than the others you win. Um, it's just other people's opinions for whether you're good or not. Some, some judges that are judging you in this competition. So your worth inherently in your career is based on the opinions of others. Yeah. Since I was about yeah. six years old, my whole, wow. yeah, my whole worth and yeah, sense of self-worth and, mm. and sense of, therefore almost sense of happiness has come from what they say, what the judges. They say. Yeah. 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 Did, did they think you were good? Yeah. And, and, and often it sort of wouldn't even matter when I came off the competition floor. Like, did I think I was good today? It, the only thing that mattered was, did they think I was good? And then, obviously, I've gone into a career in, in, you know, being on stage. And as much as everything in you wants to, wants to believe the only thing that matters is how I perform tonight, what am I expressing, Did I, am I enjoying myself, am I getting everything that I want out of it, you can't help but notice whether the crowd are reacting how, they want, how you want them to or mm. not. But that is a part of the <clears throat> art of performance, <clears throat> isn't it? Yeah. It's too selfish as a performer just to think, well, did I good, do a good job? It doesn't matter about the crowd. Mm. But, but there's, there's got to be a balance somewhere like because, mm. because I, I'm, I'm so reliant on, um, on the energy of the audience. Like um, a lot of my mates, when I was doing Burn the Floor, which is like the show that I've been doing on and off for years, this year we did two months of, of Burn the Floor. And a lot of my mates on Burn the Floor call me Tinkerbell because I don't know if you remember the film Hook yeah. Um, yeah. when and Julie Roberts was playing Tinkerbell. And the whole thing was like, it, like if she was dying, you had to clap. And, and that's what brings the fairy back to life. And, it, and so they can't be Tinkerbell because if, like, if people aren't clapping me, 
I'm falling apart. Yeah. So, like, if if like there'll be nights where if the energy of the crowd is a, is a bit low, or and they might be really enjoying it, they might be loving the show, but they're just a bit more reserved an audience. If I've like said something on stage that was meant to be funny and it didn't get that big of a reaction, or I've just finished a dance or a song, and the reaction is like that. I come off stage and, and I'm saying, you know what, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. I don't know if I want to perform anymore. I, th- I, think, I've, I think I've had enough. I'm just not, I'm not enjoying it anymore. Like it affects my whole everything. Mm, wow. I'm not enjoying any of this anymore. Uh, you know, I think m- maybe I'm getting too old for it. Maybe this, maybe that. Nah, 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 I hate it all. I'm packing it in. This is going to be my last year. The next night, we'll do the show again, the exact same show. And the audience will just be bouncing, like <laughs> going mental. And I'll come back like, I love my job. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. I love what I, what I do for a living. I have the best job in the world. But like, it, I'm so affected by, mm. by what goes on in the audience all the time. But, but then I think that's been across my life. That's sort of seeped in that I've, I've become such a codependent in all walks of life. Like I'm... Um, codependent. My whole demeanor is codependent on um, how an audience reacts to me when I'm performing. But then it's also showed up in in things like relationships, where my opinion and and sort of self worth is based on what my partner thinks of me. So then I've ended up going, oh, we'll do. We, we've got to, we've got to do whatever you want to do. Oh, uh, oh, oh, should we do this? No, I want to do that. Okay, let's do that. Because please like me, because if, yeah. if, if you don't like my opinion on this, or if you don't like my restaurant choice tonight, or, you know, whatever the thing is, um, then I feel really bad because I don't want you to not like me. Um, <coughs> because that, if you don't like me, that, then that means that I'm not doing a good job. Yeah. This codependency on, on someone else's opinion. And that showed up in things like, um, you know, we've talked before, before about the time when I, I was on Broadway with Burn the Floor and I, you know, wanted to stay on Broadway, but um, my, my partner at the time convinced me to go somewhere else. I ended up dancing in a, in a theme park because it's what someone else wanted. Um, and I left Broadway to dance in a theme park purely because it's what someone else wanted. And, um, you know, I... I, I I perhaps should have gone, and I'm not blaming her in any way. She, you know, yeah, your she would decision. Have, yeah, it, it yeah. was my fault. It was, it, yeah, it was what I, I've got to take responsibility. Um, but I, I should have said, um, I, want to, I want to stay here. I want to be in New York on Broadway because this is massive for me. Um, and who knows, she, she, might have, she, she might have said, okay, yeah, I understand that. And, and, and I'd have stayed. But I, I just feared that, you know, my, my catastrophizing brain went, if I say no, I want to stay here, she's going to leave me. Wow. Yeah. <clears throat> because she's going to think that I don't want what she wants and therefore I'm a bad person and she's going to leave me. So I've gone into this whole zone like forever. I think I'm just starting to understand it better and get more of a, a hold on it mm. and, and, and be able to process it better. But for the longest time, I've been such a codependent and so yeah. worried about what everyone else thinks. So that when I hear someone who I really admire, who, who's just a massive achiever and has done, done great things, say that they went through similar things, it's so kind of 
it's refreshing to hear them say it and, and it's so um, kind of settling. They go, oh, so I'm not the only one that's experienced yeah. imposter syndrome or I'm not the only one that has gone out thinking I'm completely worthless in, into a job. It's funny how it shouldn't really matter what people think, but when we feel like we're not alone and other people are struggling too, mm. it kind of makes us feel better about it. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Why is that? Because I know you don't want people to struggle, but to know that they struggle makes you yeah. feel better about your struggle. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, just, it's just talking about stuff. It's like, it's like any problem. Like, uh, like I I've, I've always have a tendency to just kind of suppress. Oh, no, no, don't think that. Don't say that. You can't be seen to be saying that. You can't be seen to be, you can't be, seen to be vulnerable in any way. And that's probably come from my dad because my, my, my dad was, was one of these, like when I was competing and, and that, like I, I'd be going... Um, oh God, I'm really, I really feel poorly. I don't, I don't think I can do this today. And my dad would go, are you a man or a mouse? <laughs> and, and, and I'd Take be like, he's from the north as yeah, well. Yeah, my yeah, dad and is. I'm going, yeah. <laughs> I'm going, I think my, I think my leg's broken. <laughs> go, no, it isn't. It's all in the mind. <laughs> yeah. No, I think, I as genuinely think it is. <laughs> yeah, floor, yeah. yeah, genuinely, I think I've got a problem. No, it's all in the mind. Get out on the, dan- on the floor. If you can stand up, then you can get out and dance and da, 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 don't complain. Don't show weakness. Yeah. And that was just him trying to, you know, do his best for me not to be a complainer and, yeah. and not to, you know, he wants me to work hard and he wants me to push through challenges. And, you know, so there was so many benefits. I've got a lot to thank my, my dad for that because mm. I've sort of turned into a, a really hard worker when, I've got, when I'm focused on something. Um, but at the same time, like, I, I, I just tend to, if, if there's any, like, weakness coming in or vulnerability... I tend to just completely put a lid on it, yeah. suppress it, don't talk about it. Um, but now, like I say, with hearing other people talk about stuff, like through podcasts or, you know, whatever, in interviews, I've realized actually it's really helpful mm. when people talk about it. And it's a lot more accepted now as, yeah. as well. Do you so, think it's part of the art form? Because I study successful people a lot. I love watching mm. d- documentaries, listening to um, autobiographies, I really, really think that's important. And, it seems that almost the more talented and genius you are, the more imbalanced your life is somewhere else. Um, Alexander McQueen, an amazing documentary, mm. and you think mm. about Tiger Woods and whoever. And do you think that if you were a performer and you didn't care what people thought and you didn't need the love and attention and affection from the audience, maybe you wouldn't be a good performer? The fact yeah. that you need mm. the, the love and praise and adulation from the audience probably makes you work harder, probably makes you give more, yeah. probably makes you a better performer. It's a question, by the way, not yeah. a statement. But. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I can't speak for everybody, but yeah, for, for me, it's definitely part of that sort of, the, I don't know, the juice that gets me going, like yeah. the driving force behind it is trying to, trying to prove to everybody and make everyone think that I'm really good yeah. at what I'm doing. Because if you didn't have that, you wouldn't be bothered about performing to your highest level. If you did not care what people thought about you, mm. oh, whatever, I'll, go, I'll give me my paycheck, I'll go do my thing. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Like, like on, on, on Strictly, um, I got, the first time I auditioned for Strictly, I got rejected. The second time I auditioned for Strictly, I got rejected. Uh, Weren't that, you a bit of a goth then? Yeah, yeah. That was, that, that was the first time I got rejected was basically because I was a goth with yeah. long hair and black eye makeup and they thought there's, we don't really have any need for this 
It's funny how you're kids. doing a, a show now where you get to have yeah, long yeah, hair. Yeah, yeah, to play yeah. it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, there's something in that, I yeah. think, that like when you're in that sort of values factor thing where, yeah. where you really know what you want and what your values are, it sort of mm. manifests itself. Um, but um, so I got rejected a couple of times from Strictly. <clears throat> I think uh, at that point, there was once I'd been rejected twice, it was for me. It was like if someone gives me half an inch now, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna completely conquer strictly because I'm at such a state now where I need to prove everybody yeah. wrong, um, and I need I need to not be rejected anymore because a void had been created <clears throat> in your life that then you're looking to yeah, fill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Suddenly it was like rejection, rejection, rejection. Um, you know, through through school, I suppose from from earlier smaller kids that, yeah. that did um, ballroom dancing with his sister in the year below. I was that kid at school, you know. Um, <clears throat> I wasn't captain of the football team, yeah. you know. <laughs> so yeah. it was like, oh, I, I need people to see me better than this, yeah. you know. Like, like uh, I, don't, I don't like this feeling. Um, so it was like driving me on. I need to prove myself. I've got to prove myself. Um, so then when I finally got on Strictly, <clears throat> there was no question in my mind that I need, like, I had to be a success on it. Yeah. Um, so how did it feel? When I first got on Strictly? No. When oh. you finally won after, like, oh, eight it was million amazing. goes. <laughs> it, it was absolutely amazing. And <clears throat> it's, funny it, yeah. it's funny because I've, I've been saying for ages, and I, and I do believe this, but I've been saying for ages that, like, with, with performing... It's not about the winning. It's a. It, it's about the process. It's about. <laughs> no, it yeah, going, it's yeah. about the the show. It's about and ultimately, it's about entertaining people. That that's the main priority. The priority on Strictly is not winning. <clears throat> In the macro, that is true, and that is what I believe. Yeah. In the micro situation of being in the final, um, I'd been in the final four times before the last series yeah um and been runner-up one of them to my sister that <laughs> by the time i was like you know at that point i was like i have to win this now like but before it before it was just now nah, i'm you know it's all about the entertaining it'll always be okay da, 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 da. after about the four, i think the fourth time of coming second I was like, okay, now this has really created something in me where I have to win. <laughs> because, and again, probably that outside judgment thing. Yeah. Like, if I don't win now, people are, like, it's all very well being the plucky underdog that almost makes it, that people are getting behind, and I'm entertaining people, and that's all great. But now, this is four times, people are going to see me as the guy that can't quite get the job done. Yeah. It's like almost there. But never. It's like when we all wanted, desperately wanted Andy Murray to finally win Wimbledon. Yeah. It was like he'd, he'd been there, he'd been so close, and, and we think, is he going to finally do it? And um, I, I just thought, you know, that's the thing that just kept me working and working and working. Um, and Stacey was, was a really hard worker as well. Like, and there's no doubt that's, that's why she's got to the level that she's got to. She's got an incredible work ethic. Um, so after week two on Strictly when we got, we got fours and fives and we were down near the bottom Stacy turned around to me and said well, I need to put more hours in because I don't want to go out really early 
he was like, I don't, I'm not expecting to win or anything, but I don't want to go out really early. But I understand that I'm not a brilliant dancer. I need to put the hours in. Yeah. And, and it was like the two of us together just became a machine. Like, that was music to my ears. Then when she went, I need to really have a go at this. Yeah. And we started doing 14 hours a day. Wow. Like, it was like pure focus. And, yeah. and, and she, her improvement went, like, just through the roof. And, um, <clears throat> but saying that, when we got to the final, nothing in us thought that we were going to win. We Do thought, you think that helped? Did it, like, take the pressure off? I suppose. I think there was still a part of me. And I don't know, uh, you know, I don't know, but may maybe this was the difference this year in that we didn't think we were going to win. And in every other year, I'd have been totally fine with that. I'd have been like, yeah, but, you know, I'm just about the entertaining. I'm about performing and as long as everyone's happy. Um, but there was a moment in the build up to the final on the last week of Strictly where she was struggling with the routine. She couldn't quite get it. And she was, it was the first time I'd seen her quite defeated. And, and I said to her, what's wrong? This is not the same Stacey that's been there for the, the last, you know, 14, however many weeks it is, 13 weeks. And um, she said, you know what? I just feel like I'm not sure what my place is here in this final. And I said, what do you mean? And I said, well, they've got two girls there, Faye from Steps and Ashley from the Pussycat Dolls, who are both amazing dancers, like way better than me. And... <clears throat> there's no way that I can compete with them. Like, they're going to get the highest scores in this final. So I'm not going to be the best dancer in the final. Um, and Joe Sugg, the YouTuber with, with Diane Buswell, they're going to win because everybody loves them. He's got a massive following on social media. He's doing great. He's improved a lot. You know, um, everyone loves him. So he, we all know he's going to win. So she says, I just feel like I don't know what my place is in this final. I, I, I feel like you know, I've really enjoyed it and I'm so proud that we've got to the final, but now we just need to do the final and, and enjoy the night and go home. <coughs> and I don't know, there was something different in me this year. And, and, and I, I said to her, you know, I think you're right. I think, you know, there's no point in even comparing yourself to Ashley and Faye because they're dancers. They've been dancing for years and they're brilliant. Um, I think you're right, Joe's probably going to win. And I said, but I think it's 99%. I'm 99% sure that Joe's going to win. But there's 1% in me that says that we've got a chance. And if that 1% exists, then we have to give it everything we've got for that 1%. <clears throat> because otherwise we're just accepting that it's not going to be us. Mm. And I don't know, there was something more in me that was like, <laughs> like I don't, one, I don't want to see Stacey like this. I want her to give everything she's got. And two, I feel like I need to win. Yeah. <laughs> so, so she went, all right, uh, deal. Let's, mm. let's just go for it. Let's just try our best. Not expect it, but let's just go with everything we've got. Yeah. And we did. And then still in the final, it was... Like, as the results were happening, it was, it was the one time that I didn't think at all that we were going to win. All, all the other four times I was in the final, I thought, is there a slight chance? Is there a slight chance? As, as Tess Daly was, was reading it out, everything in me thought she was going to say Joe and Diane as the winners. Um, and that's why, like, when she said Stacey and Kevin... So tell me what went through your head when she said it. <clears throat> um, complete shock. 
um, I heard like the roar of the crowd around me and I sort of went a bit dizzy. I dropped to my knees, like my legs just sort of gave way. I didn't, like I couldn't quite compute what was happening. I, I, I dropped to my knees and, and, and I was just on the floor and, and just for a second was just thinking, we've done it. Yeah. We've done it. Like I finally won. Stacy's the, the glitter ball champion. Um, I can't like, I, I can't believe it. Um, I looked up and like, it was just anarchy. Like all, all the other pros are rushing on. Um, Stacy's mum had invaded the pitch. Like, <laughs> yeah. it was like, um, like it, a Grimsby it football game. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Everyone was screaming. And, and the thing was, I'd looked just before the results. We were right on the left and I'd looked to my left where my mum and dad were sitting. They were sat, like, they were like right close to me. And I'd looked over to my dad who, like I say, had always been this, like, go ahead and win kind of a dad. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, you can do it. You can do it. You, there's no such thing as accepting defeat. Um, I looked over to him, and we were bottom of the leaderboard by the judges' scores in wow. the final. And I thought the only way that we're going to make that 1% happen and, and actually win it is if we have a great night and the judges have us top of the leaderboard. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but we were bottom of the leaderboard. So I looked over at my dad and my dad sort of shrugged his shoulders as if to say, like, because he didn't think we were going to win either, as, as if to say, you know, it is what it is. It was like a shrug that I really know of my dad. Like yeah. when I see it, it, it's like a, it is what it is, but we'll keep going. Yeah. We'll keep fighting. Chin up and we'll keep fighting. Yeah. It was that kind of a shrug. And I did it back to him like, yeah, I know, but we'll keep fighting. It was like <laughs> another year, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so I was really aware of my mum and dad being there and um so then w when it happened afterwards um i've got this tradition of whenever something really really good happens um like say like when we made it to broadway on burn the floor or like i'd won a competition or whatever if i had a, a, a jacket when um like at the end of it i would like i think i'd seen it on wrestling or something <laughs> like, I, like i took off my jacket and just slammed it on the floor <laughs> as, as, if to, as if to say like a statement of like, job done. Yeah. Like that. And um, as soon as the cameras went off at the end of that final, I had my, because um, I was in my Paso Doble outfit and I had this like Valero jacket on. I just walked straight up in front of my dad and my dad was in tears. <laughs> and, I, and I just looked him straight in the eye, ripped off my, my jacket <laughs> and just slammed it on the floor and went... <laughs> like, job done and dad was just going <laughs> pumping his fist and like yeah. tears in his eyes it was an amazing moment and and i sort of like I'll, I'll never forget it and i was so happy in that moment but also there's that other sort of voice on, on my other shoulder that goes yeah but it's interesting that like this amazing happy moment came from the millions of people that vote on strictly come dancing had voted you guys the champions like be careful of only being happy when other yeah. people give it to you mm. like you you've still got to create like your sense of success and self-worth and that from within yourself yeah. really so but just I, before we went on that strictly yeah, thread yeah, yeah, you were yeah. starting to talk about that where you were saying mm. you were working on trying to get happiness from within rather mm. than from without mm. you know being happy in yourself rather than the the need of the praise of others yeah um how have you done that how are you finding happiness in yourself 
Um, because it can be a bit of a curse yeah. or an, a, an empty <clears throat> chase of I'm only happy when, I'm only happy when. Mm, mm. Yeah, so ha- t- let's talk about that. How are you getting yeah. on with that? So, yeah, so sometimes I think people can do this thing where it's like, I'll, yeah, I'll be happy when I achieve this mm. or I'll be happy when I get that thing, when, when I buy that yeah. house. Because those tricky moments might happen once every five or ten years in your life. Yeah. So you can't be pinning all your happiness onto those rare moments. Yeah. Um, and uh, again, on that same vein of, of, of listening to people talking about their struggles and, and problems, I think like on podcasts, that's been a, a real big thing for me in being able to acknowledge a few things in my life. Because I think in the last couple of years, <clears throat> um, I don't know how to sort of describe it or, or term, like label it, but it, like, I can only describe it as like I've had some kind of breakdown. <laughs> Like, I've just um, within myself, with, within my life, like... When, was there a time when that happened then? Um, I suppose a big thing that happened in my life w- was me and, me and Karen breaking up. Um, but it was happening before that in myself. Um, I, like, I, I don't want to just say, oh, this, this led to this, because it's not as simple as that. Um, I don't know what happened. It's sort of... It felt like it came out of nowhere, but I think, <clears throat> like, I don't understand it all yet, but it's possible that all of this being codependent all my life and, and my own happiness being determined by external sources all the time um, was probably gradually building up inside of me and leading to massive insecurity and um, fear anxiety, imposter syndrome, um, shyness, like just fear of what people are going to think of me in every single situation. Um, not just in, in terms of being a performer on, on stage, but just in everyday situations like that I'd have a conversation with someone and I'd be really judging myself on that conversation. What, while you were having the conversation? Yeah. yeah. Like, am I... Like, say if me and you were having this conversation now, uh, like there'd be a voice on my shoulder going, are you, are you answering, are you an- not are you answering that question well, are you answering that question in a way that Rob's going to be satisfied with or that Rob's going to think you're good at answering it? Or is he going to think you're a bit of an idiot while you're answering this question? Yeah, it's funny you say that because you know I think you're awesome in every way and I look up to you. So it's funny that you would look at, yeah. I know you were just using that as an example. Yeah. It's funny how you can perceive someone's judging you when they're actually loving or admiring or respecting you. Yeah. And it's, it's weird. It didn't, it don't, sometimes it doesn't matter how many times I'm told because I get such lovely messages from people on mm. social media. After a show, people are at stage door, um, you know, comments on Strictly, like whatever the thing is, people are constantly going... I really enjoyed your performance or, oh, you're so great. Oh, thank you for the entertainment. Oh, the light. Um, I think you're awesome at this. Oh, you, you, um, oh, I didn't know you could sing. You've got a great voice. People are saying this stuff and it's like, I'm constantly worrying about whether they actually mean it or not. Like, like going, are they just saying that to be nice to me and then going out the next night or people are probably going to think I'm rubbish, you know? And and it's like every night I'm having to, Instead of thinking, this is something that I love doing and that I can do, I'm going to go out and do it for them and entertain everybody. It's this like, 
I've got to go and prove myself. Otherwise, everyone's going <clears> to <throat> default setting. Everyone thinks I'm rubbish. It's my job to turn them around. That's the paradox in the drive to success, though. Yeah. You look at very successful people in many walks of life. There is that void. If there is no void, there is no drive. Mm, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, like, yeah, I don't, I, I'm sure it's helped me in ways that, like, I've just had a, <clears throat> like I say, this need to prove myself all the time. Therefore, I'm, I'm a relentlessly hard worker, mm. which has benefited me. Because if you think but, about it, now that you've won Strictly, you could retire. You, what, have you, what more have you got to prove now you've won Strictly? Yeah. But I bet you, you never stop, stop working your whole it life. It doesn't stop there. No. No, because the, the work... Because it all it to resets to zero. Yeah. yeah, it's like yeah. filling a, a bucket with a, a <clears throat> hole in the bottom. Mm. Because in my head, if I have a series on the next series of Strictly, which doesn't go well, people are going to say, oh, well, he's won Strictly now. He's sort of given up a bit. He stopped working as hard. Mm. People are going to... I've already decided that's what people are saying about yeah. me. You know, <laughs> like... Um, even before the show started. Even before it started. <laughs> I've got no idea who the celebrities are going to be, yeah. who I'm going to be paired with, any of that stuff. I've already decided that people are going to be judging me about my work ethic mm. now. I've already won. So therefore, I've already got... And it's probably... No one's probably even thinking about Strictly mm. yet at all. People are watching other stuff. People are watching Love Island. But like, <laughs> like in my head, I've decided that that's what the entire nation are thinking and therefore I need to do something about it. So how are you fixing that in yourself? Um, well, so I think what, what I was saying before is that, that that's, that's when we're talking about performing. But it's also led to a constant sort of fear and anxiety in everyday life, in just normal situations. Like I say, just having conversations or existing as a person. Like I'm not good in a, in a big group. I'm not very, um, just never been that confident, which is mad to think because, you know, like I think all my friends, like say back in Grimsby, would imagine that I'm really confident, super confident because of what I do. But I'm like the least confident person in the world. And I'm just worried about whether people like me or not all the time. Um, and this all came to a head, I think, as I was saying, like <clears throat> over the last couple of years, I think it's all bubbled away and bubbled away and bubbled, bubbled away. And it's like I've kept a lid on it. And then at some point, either something's happened. I don't know what the trigger was, but something's happened. Maybe an argument with my wife or you know whatever and it's like the lids come off and everything just went <laughs> yeah, like and a it, geezer yeah and it's yeah. all just come pouring out yeah and all this i went through this stage of total self-hatred and and just loathing of myself and no self-worth low self-esteem zero confidence like my confidence was on the floor and um and I didn't know how to deal with it. And, and uh, it was affecting my work a bit. It, it was affecting me and Karen's relationship. It, it, um, you know, I mean, there was many things there, but that was one of the things. Like, I didn't know how to function as a person. And it, it felt like, I'm sure it's built up over years, but it felt like it came out of nowhere. And like I said, I don't know how to label it. And I, I want to be careful about how to label it. But, um, you know, it's as close as I can imagine to what might be like depression. I mean, I want to be careful there because I know people, yeah. there's some people really struggle with depression and, and, and have to battle it on a much tougher level than say I have. But um, I fell into a real tough spot. And um, 
and like I started drinking a lot. Like I was I was going out and and just drinking all the time and um, and it just and then that has a negative effect because then you feel more emotional the next day and I was just constantly this ball of stress and emotion and um, <clears throat> you know some of the people on Strictly I was talking to them about it and and I, I was letting things get to me that that usually wouldn't and and I was, I was just constantly stressed out constantly emotional constantly sad. And it got to, all got to a point, and then me and Karen ended up breaking up, which then sort of, it escalated even more after that, because I didn't know how to deal with it. And, and I started drinking more and more, I, started, I was more and more sad, more and more emotional, more and more self-hatred, woe is me, da 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 And um, <clears throat> I didn't know what to do. There was times when I thought, maybe I should, maybe I need to get out of this whole, maybe I just don't love what I'm doing anymore, I need to get out of this, maybe I need to just take a load of time off. <clears throat> I didn't know. Um, and then it was, I guess, through listening to podcasts, you know, talking to you, talking to, um, talking to, to friends. And, and people were going to me, you've got to change this. You've, you, like, you're, you're spiraling out of control. I don't understand why you hate yourself so much. Like, you, you're good at what you do. You're a nice person. You know, you, like, you, but you seem to have this hatred for yourself um and uh it was susan kalman actually when i was dancing with her on strictly said to me a, a really interesting thing she said um she said you treat everyone with such sort of respect and kindness ev everyone around you she said i don't understand why you don't treat yourself with that same kindness mm. like you would never treat anyone else the way you treat yourself mm. and that sort of really I don't know, it really hit me. And, and I was like, yeah, you're, you're right. But I didn't know what to do about it. And, and, and I was constantly putting this pressure on myself of like, I've got to change, I've got to change, I've got to change. Yeah. I've got to become something else now. And I didn't know how to go about that. And then something clicked in me when I did, um, I went on the four-day Tony Robbins course, the Unleash the Power Within. You probably do more dancing in those four days yeah, than oh, in your I career. Know. Oh man, yeah. I, I walked into the Tony Robbins course and um, everyone was, was dancing and I thought, oh, the, the, I've come here to get away yeah. from dancing yeah. and everyone's just jumping up and down, dancing yeah. away, yeah. follow me, let's do this, and it was all so sort of American and as you would say, a bit rah-rah yeah. and, uh, and all this and I thought, oh no, <laughs> I've just paid a load of money for this and like, I don't know if this is going to be for me, like it's... <clears throat> yeah. I, I don't know I'm finding this all a bit embarrassing um, but then I just thought I have paid a load of money for it you might as well give it a go yeah. I mean if, if, if he's good enough for Serena Williams then he's got something to say mm. <laughs> you know mm. um, just go with it it's four days of your life go with it and just embrace the whole thing if you don't get anything out of it you don't get anything out of it yeah. but you might get something and I got so much yeah. out of them few days like, and the main thing was, I'd been on this path of, you've got to change, you've got to change, you've got to become something else. And, he, and his whole seminar was about, I'm paraphrasing, obviously, yeah, I'm not yeah. Tony Robbins, yeah. but <laughs> I've got to say that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, it was about, actually, you're not broken. Yeah. You're not broken. You don't have to try and become something different. You've just got to get back to what you are. Mm. It's like, you were born like this and 
you were on, on, on a path where, you know, as a kid, you just live into your, val- as like the values factor would say, you're living to your top values all the time. You're yeah. just doing what you want. Mm. If you want to, if you're in the middle of a restaurant and, and you've got loads of energy and you want to run around going, ah, you just do it. You would if, if you're, you're a kid. A kid you? yeah, yeah. Because you don't care yeah. what anyone thinks of you and, you and there's nothing to tell you that you can't. Apart from at that point, your parents might go, don't yeah. do that. And, and that's what happens. Basically, as you get older, you and you have more and more experience of life and situations and social situations. You, it's like you get all these stickers put on you of, oh, mustn't do that. Yeah. Can't act like that in that situation. Don't say that. That like, um, and then you go, you put all these labels on yourself like, oh, I'm a rock music fan. I'm a mm. person that loves this football team. I don't like that. Yeah. I don't I'm eat not that very food. good at that. I can't, I can't do, that. do that. I shouldn't yeah. do that. Who yeah. am I to think that? Yeah. Yeah. I could never write a book. Yeah. I could never do my own podcast. You know, like mm. stuff like that. You, you, you start putting all these labels on and then you fight for these labels because they form this identity. And it's like, this is my identity as Kevin. And you fight for it for some reason. You're like, I'm, I, I can't possibly dress any different, listen to any different music. Like, you'll stick to it. No, I, I'll never do it. I can't do that. I can't do that. I can't do that. No, no, you absolutely can do that. No, I can't. I know I can't. Like, you fight for that, mm. like, identity of who you are. Whereas, I feel like Tony Robbins' course, what, what he was saying was, just get rid of all that stuff. Yeah. All that stuff, all people's opinions, your own opinions of yourself, and just get back to what do you want what makes you feel happy just get back in touch with yourself and your own values and he- and and but know with clarity what that is and then head towards that mm. and that was really sort of liberating and and um and i talked to a few different people like like russell brand is, is, is a friend of mine who who is really good to talk to about all this stuff and he he was explaining to me this situation uh, situation this um concept of changing your identity um so he said he goes to jujitsu twice a week and i was like really and he said yeah but that's the thing he said you wouldn't think of the identity of russell brand as being a guy that does jujitsu you wouldn't think that that's within his sort of makeup Mm. of his identity within his labels so he was he said i do it because it's like practicing changing your own identity yeah it's like it's like a jenga and, and these, these building blocks. And it's like, you can actually, you don't have to just accept that that's my Jenga building. You can take one out and go, well, it's that now. And you can replace it with something else. Mm. You can do what you want to this thing that is your identity. So he was saying, if I can become a person that does jujitsu twice a week, even though it's not something that would usually be considered part of my identity, then it's just, it's like practicing the fact that you can do whatever you want. Mm. You can become anything. Yeah, you can, your identity can be whatever you want it to be. So, I, I became really interested in that and getting back in touch with what I'm about as a person. And um, and he challenged me to change something about my identity um, as I was going off on a tour. And um, and I said, right, what what do you think I should change? Because I haven't got time for jujitsu. <laughs> <laughs> and he <laughs> and he said why don't you try not drinking for the two months of this tour? Not drinking on tour. And I remember at this time I was drinking a lot. Mm. And, and he was like, he said, the thing is, it's become such a part of your identity that you'll, if something goes really well, you'll celebrate by having a drink or a few drinks. 
if something goes really bad, you'll drown your sorrows mm. in whiskey. Yeah. So drinking is just everything in your identity. So why don't you try and change that? Why don't you not drink for two months of this tour? Challenge yourself to do it. Because if you can do that, then you can do anything. Mm. Oh my God, oh my God, I've got to not drink. How do I even function like on tour without yeah. drinking? Whatever. But again, that's such a stupid thing to say. How do I function what, without a drink? Well, for a like, start, you don't have hangovers, so it's pretty easy to function. Exactly, yeah. 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 Like, how, can I, how can I be a person at a party mm. like, w- without a- having a drink if everyone's having a, having a drink? And he, and he said to me, well, what's the thing about the party? What, why do you need to function as a certain person at this party? What is yeah. this pressure that you've put on yourself there? Mm. And I went, well, just, you know, if everyone's out till four o'clock and they're going to be a bit drunk and a bit buzzed and having a great time and I'm not going to be on that same level. And he said, and why do you need that? Why do you need to be up till four o'clock? What happens at four o'clock? I went, well, just this, you know, that's the time. He goes, what happens at three o'clock? And he's like, and I I couldn't give him a proper answer. Mm. So he was like, so is it that important that you, you stay to the end of the party or is it just some label that you've put on yourself? Like you're the, you're one of the guys that stays to the end and drinks more than everyone else. Mm. I was like, yeah, you're right. And he was like, you could, if it gets to that point where everyone's drunk and they won't remember what happens for the next couple of hours anyway, you could just go to bed. Yeah. And then get up a bit earlier the next day and do something you want to do that morning. Yeah. You could. Mm. It's up to you. Yeah, okay, all right, all right, all right. So I challenged myself to not drink for that two months. I got through it. And at the end of the two months, I, I spoke to him and went, if feels like it'd be weird to celebrate getting through them two months by having a drink. <laughs> yeah. And he went, okay, well, just don't put any pressure on have it. some but green just, tea. <laughs> yeah, just, you know, you don't have to have a drink right now. Like, do whatever you want. And that's the thing. That's the key. Do whatever you want. There isn't a pressure of like, oh, I should celebrate by having a drink or mm. I shouldn't have a drink. It's like everything's always this should or shouldn't do this. Like, just get in touch with what, what do you actually want to do? Mm. What, what? In simple decisions, what music do you want to listen to? How do you want to dress? What do you want to do with your career? What would you want to do with your spare time? What, like, and I decided I don't want to drink for a while. And I haven't had a drink since. Yeah. I've, I've done, it's 14 months now. I haven't had any alcohol. And I've got more in touch with my own values and, and what I want to do with my life and trying my best. I'm not brilliant at it, but trying my best not to put these pressures on myself of like what other people think of me, what other people expect of me, what they think I should be doing. I started saying no to things a lot easier. Like I've been offered certain choreography jobs because it was always like, I'm going to choreograph, I'm going to be this big name choreographer because I'm a dancer. And then when I can't dance anymore, I'm going to choreograph. And then I started going, actually, is that what I want to do? Like, Mm. do I want to be a choreographer or do I want to, carry on performing i got offered i've been offered three different musicals to choreograph them that a couple of years ago i would have jumped at the chance of doing it purely for one reason so that i could show off about it again the outside Mm. judgment like so i could go on twitter and go look at me i'm choreographing this big musical so that they would go well done Mm. and then i would hate it i would hate the actual job of doing it yeah um whereas now i'm starting to go actually I'd love to perform in a musical rather than choreograph it. Mm. I, still want to, I still have this hunger to perform. I want to do more singing and acting. 
And it's like, okay, so don't say no to it then. You don't have to have that from yeah. people all the time. Like, to, just say no to that and concentrate on what you want. So with getting back in touch with me, my, like myself, who I am as a person, concentrating on what I want in life and being more clear about it and my own values and giving up drinking, my life over the last year has gone from being like, just darkness and despair and self-hatred to every, everything's just going so much better. Yeah. I'm so much happier now than I was a year ago. Um, I, I've decided I wanted to do a musical. I auditioned for, um, I auditioned for one musical that I thought I would, was going to be a shoe in for. Like, I thought, like, I'm definitely going to get this. I might as well say it. We're, in the spirit of being open and honest, I auditioned for Strictly Ballroom, the musical. And I thought, Strictly Ballroom, the musical. <laughs> yeah, that's mine. There is no one more yeah. perfect than me to do this. Yeah. Like, so surely this is going to be mine. I auditioned for it and I didn't get it. Um, and before that would have been, oh my God, I'm terrible. Like, there's no way I shouldn't have got this. I'm, you know, I'm completely worthless. I'm terrible at my job. Everyone hates me. I'm never going to do this ever again. Never going to audition any good ever again. But um, I, I just thought, okay, it's all a process. Keep, keep moving forward, you yeah. know, take some responsibility. Probably that guy that got it was better than me. Keep working hard. Keep taking singing, acting lessons. Keep going. Da, 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 da. Mm. Um, and I was only at the beginning phase as well, uh, as well of uh, like giving up drinking at that yeah. stage. Later on, um, <clears throat> when I was a bit more together, I hadn't drank in a while, I, I um, auditioned for Rock of Ages. Um, they didn't know whether I could sing or not. I had to go in, do a few scenes, sing a song, um, did the audition, still with a lot of fear, like, oh, I don't know what they're going to think. Da, 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 da. And they offered me the job in the room straight after the wow. audition which yeah. doesn't happen very often. No. They, they, they said, can you just wait out there five minutes? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Invited me back in the room, said, yeah, we want you to do it. Mm. Which was amazing. Like that took off. And I, was, I went from being like, I've got to be this choreographer, choreographer so people clap for me. Yeah. To actually, no, I don't want to be a choreographer. I want to perform. Did the auditions, gave up drinking, got like the perfect, for me, performing job in Rock of Ages. Mm. I'm a big rock music fan. I've yep. loved the musical for 10 years. And suddenly I'm performing in Rock of Ages. I'd got the job in Rock of Ages. And then got, went on to that season of Strictly. Got paired up with Stacey Dooley and won Strictly. Mm. Which, you know, I didn't know whether that was ever going to happen. And now things are just moving forward. Like, I, th I feel like I'm getting things together again yeah. it's all a work in progress i'm not perfect at it yeah. and i'm still get fear and anxiety just like you know like everyone else um and just we've, we've talked about doing a podcast for a long time me and you for way longer than we should have done <laughs> um because i've said that i wanted to do it i've always loved the idea of having a podcast talking about all this stuff and asking other performers about all this stuff mm. and you've been going to me yeah, let's do it. When, whenever you're ready, let's go. I can help you with it, you know, help you with getting it set up. And, and I'd be saying, yeah, yeah, let's do this. Let's do that. And I'd be just about ready to go. And then for whatever reason, it wouldn't happen. Yeah. And, I, and my excuse all the time was like, I just don't have enough time. I don't yeah. have enough time. I don't have enough time. Now but, I understand. But we're at, we've actually met you here 
at your show yeah. in Southampton. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. And I understand <laughs> as well from stuff that you say and from reading the values factor that you've got time for your highest values. Yeah. Like it's just the energy that you put into, you know, your, your highest values. It's just probably that I'll procrastinate and procrastinate probably because I'm worried that I'm going to put a podcast out there and people are going to go, I hate this podcast. Mm. Like he's talking, he doesn't know what he's talking about. He's rubbish at doing podcasts. He's just, he's, he's trying to do some, some, they're gonna, I'm worried they're going to judge me like that. He's trying to make some commercial venture with this podcast. He's trying to be some sort of presenter and he's rubbish at it. When, <laughs> when that's probably what stopped me doing it for the longest time. Yeah. When really I just love podcasts and I want to hear from other performers and see if they're as mad and anxiety ridden as me. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> so I tell you something that I think is really important and mm. I, I don't know if you do this. Um, but I think we're often our own worst critic. Mm. And I think listening to you, it sounds like you beat yourself up about a lot of things that mm. you maybe think you don't do great. Do you ever sit down and go, here's what I did well today? Here's what I achieved? Do you ever sit back and just have a moment to think, since I was a young kid, what things have I done that I'm quite happy and proud about? I, I think I know the answer. I, I certainly don't do it enough. No, because this is the thing. Like, I think... If you are down on yourself or depressed, it's, well, if we make it simple, mm. and again, like you, I know there's some people that really are depressed and chemically and yeah. medically so, so yeah. but, but this still helps. Generally, sadness, depression, anxiety is just um, perceiving the future fear, mistakes and failures. Mm -hmm. Happiness is perceiving the future successes and wins. So each time you beat yourself up, lift yourself up. Each time you say to yourself, oh, I failed at that, say, well, at least I tried, and a lot of people wouldn't have had the courage to try, and I did try. Um, I used to beat myself up a lot if I, didn't, if I had a bad day parenting. Parenting's really hard. Um, I think writing a book and being a parent are the two hardest things in the world that I've ever done. <laughs> um, and I'd get to the end of a day and think, oh, maybe I lost my call with my son there, or, you know, I didn't spend enough time with him or whatever. Mm. Um, but if... Any parent will know any day you don't slap your kid in the face is a good day, you know, because every day your kids push you. Yeah. They're always testing your boundaries. Yeah. So you should sit down every night. I didn't slap my kid in the face today. I didn't yeah. swear in my kid's face. Like, congratulations. I didn't hang them out the window upside down by yeah. their feet. But the point is, we often don't, you know, like, if we sat down now, I, you probably wouldn't feel comfortable doing it, so we won't do it. But if you sat, we sat down now and did a little bit of a, a biography of Kev, mm. man, you've achieved a lot in your life. Yeah. But I'd make you say it. You'd say it, but then you'd sort of say, oh, well, I'm not perfect, and I haven't quite finished it, and I've still got more. Yeah, because you know. my immediate worry would be if I sit here and list everything that I've done in my life, instead of going congratulating myself on, oh, well done, you've, mm. you've achieved this, 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 my immediate worry would be, Everyone is going to think you don't I'm really arrogant. Yeah, but the point of that exercise is not for everyone else. Mm. It's for you. But even you, I think he's going to think I'm really arrogant here. But you know me well enough to know no, that I don't I think that. Yeah, on paper, yeah, I, I sort of, if I think about it logically, I know that. Yeah. But there's still something in my head that sort of catastrophizes, that goes, even though I know that that's not what Rob is going to think, and, you know, you're my mentor. Are, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's your are job facts, to do this. Yeah, yeah, it is. But, but facts are facts, aren't they? Yeah. You won strictly. Fact. Yeah. Fact. 
Not, yeah. not, not brag, fact. Yeah. But I'm still, like, I, even, even with that, I'm, I'm squirming right yeah, now. Yeah, I've quite enjoyed I'm, it, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going, yeah, 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 I won Strictly, yeah, it was pretty cool, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Fact. Yeah. And, and what's even, how many Strictly's have you done? I've done six. So probably even cooler of the fact that you won it. You didn't win it in your first try. No. You won it in your sixth try. Yeah. Even cooler to me. Yeah. You didn't get on Strictly the first time. You no. got on Strictly the third time. Yeah. So it's proof that you're just someone who keeps trying until you succeed. Yeah. And that is worthy of self-recognition. Yeah. Yeah. No, I know. Yeah. Logically, I know. And logically, I, I, I know that I have achieved a lot. Mm. And, and I hate saying that yeah. out loud. But like, um, logically, I know that I work really hard. Yeah. Do you think the fact that you've succeeded in some areas inspires others? Do you? Factually? Yes or no? Yeah. Yeah. So is it not robbing a lot of people of a gift if you don't express that? I, yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Because if so. you're overly humble about it, that could downplay what you've done. Oh, well, yeah, you it's know. it's not that big just, of a deal. Exactly. Yeah. No, yeah. Yeah. You're, you're right. You're right. And it's mad because I like... Like, I, um, I admire it in other people, actually. Like, I think overall in the UK, we have this tendency to, like, if someone's saying how well they've done, it's like they're bragging and we mm. don't like it. In America, it's celebrated. Yeah. Um, but I actually, um, I admire it in people when they can sort of, like, be confident and say, I, I, I've done this and I've done that and here's how I can help you. And mm. Like, that's what I admire in you. That's what, when I first started getting involved in... Um, the progressive property community, um, hearing the, the speakers, like listening to you on the podcast, listening to you speak, and some of the other speakers within the progressive community, um, like they, they, they'll stand up and, and I hadn't heard them on a podcast before, I didn't know who they were, but they'll stand up and go, I've achieved this, this and this, I've, I've gone from nothing to here. And my, my brain doesn't go, oh, get you. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? My, my, my brain goes, wow, they've done, they've done really well. I can learn from this person. Mm. Like, that I, I want to know everything that they know so that I can apply this. Yeah. So, it, so me as a consumer of it doesn't go, oh, they're just really arrogant. Mm. But for some reason, I have this feeling that, like, when I say it, people are going to think he's really arrogant. He thinks, he thinks he's the best. He thinks, oh, so, so we don't like him. So, yeah, I don't know whether that just comes from my own insecurities, whether, like, I, I suppose because I'm on a, on a TV show, there's an element of that's what the press do. Like, the press have a tendency to, like, while you're sort of an underdog, they love you. Mm. They'll build you up. And, but I've seen it time and time again just on Strictly. Um, my first year on the show, I was dancing with Susanna Reid, who was on Good Morning Britain. And um, whilst she was, like, the first half of the series, whilst she was an underdog... Um, and she wasn't considered to be the best dancer on the show or, or any of that. And she was just sort of quite plucky and, and given everything she'd got. That's where we like people. We mm. like the pe person who's not brilliant, not perfect at it, not the best at it yeah. in the group, but giving everything they've got. Yeah. As soon as she started to actually dance really quite well <laughs> towards the end of the, the series and people were starting to go, could she win this? There was a slight bandwagon from the press of, wow, could Susanna be the winner here? 
And then once she made the final and it became like she really could win it, they hated her. Yeah. Hated her. Mm. And then especially when after Strictly, she, was, she went from BBC Breakfast to Good Morning Britain. And I mean, basically, she was offered, the, if, if you look at it factually, it was a morning TV show in sort of current affairs, news, you know, talking about stuff that's going on, interviewing people. It's the same job. Mm just on a different channel. Um, I think she was offered a bit more money. And, but I think she said to me, the driving factor for her was that she, was, um, she got to spend more time with her kids because it was based in London, whereas at the time her job was in Manchester. So she, she would, could do the same job, but spend more time with her kids. Mm. Of course she would take that job. Yeah. As soon as she took that job, the press slaughtered her. Because it was like, oh, look at her now. She's, she's all ambitious. Like there's something wrong with being mm. ambitious. Like that she's, oh, she's, um, now she's done Strictly. Her head's in the clouds. She's leaving back. She's forgotten where she comes from. Da, 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 all of this stuff. And, and they just hated her because she was doing well. Um, and and I, I've seen a bit of a turn on me. Like, Did you read all the stuff? On you. Did mm. you read the press? Mm. I know that I shouldn't. Because you know I told you not to. Yeah. yeah. I know that I shouldn't. But sometimes, like, you can't help it. It's like because watching someone be sick. You don't want to watch yeah. it, really, but you have you can't to watch help it. Look. Oh, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Oh, okay. And yeah. especially for someone like me, whose brain is constantly worried about what everyone thinks of them, it was, it was a nightmare. Mm. Now I'm starting to see it for what it is and I'm starting to get a lot better at it because yeah. now a lot of what's written is, like, I just look at it and go, well, you, you've got no idea about yeah. any of the facts. Like, you've, yeah. it's complete nonsense. You've, you've clearly made this story up. Yeah. You're saying an inside source says, but the inside source is you or your mate. Like, mm. you, this is made up. Because, you know, because you're saying, oh, this is, there's <laughs> a story like, this is why Kevin didn't go to this. You know, for example, whatever, I'm just making it up out of thin air. Yeah. And a whole article about why I didn't turn up to something. And I'm going, well, I was there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you just missed me. Yeah. Like, and, and, the, and they'll write their whole opinion on why I wasn't there. And, and it's just, so it's all sort of noise. And I get that, you know, a lot of it doesn't matter. And most people don't care about it anyway. Yeah. Um, but for a time, when, when you're first reading stuff uh, about yourself and all it is is someone saying something about you and she, yeah. it's just sort of the bully in the playground shouting stuff loud about you going Ehh. yeah like that that's all it is really because mm. they've got no authority it's no just, and it's, it's just, not personal you no. th it feels personal mm. just because someone says he's like this yeah. doesn't mean that you are like that no. it just means that that person is saying that that person never met you you know yeah. what i mean it's like so I, I know that logically it doesn't matter but it is tough mm. it is different like for, for me, and, and I don't have to experience it on any kind of level, like, say, someone like, I can't imagine what the likes of David Beckham goes through mm. or Justin Bieber. Yeah. You know, people like this. There's always like, someone that's got it worse. God, it just must be yeah. a constant, like, millions just, of trolls. Yeah, yeah. People just having a go at you all the time. Yeah. And, and you've got to be strong. And, and I used to be one of these people that used to say, like, oh, celebrities with their, like, they've got nothing to moan about. Why, why are they yeah. moaning about the press? Why are they moaning about someone having a go in the press? Like, man up. You know, mm. <laughs> that, that was my attitude to it. But I, I experience it on a small scale compared to massive celebrities. But, like, I totally get it now. Yeah. I totally get it when once in a while someone will lash out at a, 
a, a pap, you know, a pap or something. Yeah. It's like, in, in, you look at it in a newspaper and go, that's really uncool, them lashing out at a pap. He's just doing his job taking a photo of you. Probably but hounded him for five hours The or reality like of that, it yeah. is that pap has been outside that person's front door for two weeks. Yeah. Waiting for you to come out and, and, and all on your way to the station, getting a cup of coffee. Snap, 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 taking pictures, follow, hiding behind trees, mm. taking trying to catch you. And then there'll be one shot where, like, you're not smiling. And there'll be a whole article about how you're sad because this happened to you. And, and, and it's just this, like, rolling thing. Like, I've confronted a, a pat before. Like, there's been one moment where I've gone out and literally I've taken my phone and just put it in his face and just followed him around. Going, do you not like having your picture? And he's going, can you take that camera out of my face? I'm going, do, I'm going, do you not like it then? Do you not like someone having a camera in your face? And, and the, like, yeah, that felt quite I'm, good. <laughs> it did. It? I, I'm, you shouldn't do it. Like, you shouldn't rise to it, really. But for a moment, I was like, I want you to experience what you're making me experience right mm. now. People following me around on, on tour and just shouting things at me. Like, I come out of stage door. I've just come off stage for two and a half hours of Burn the Floor given everything and the crowd have been lovely and I've done meet and greet meeting people outside you know all of that and people are so lovely because the the people are lovely mm. like you, you expect that people are, are reading all this stuff and they hate you and da, 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 but they don't no. like people are actually really nice it baseless accounts on social media can mm. be nasty mm. um or a journalist can come outside stick a, um, you know, a microphone in front of your face and go, how do you feel about someone saying this about you? And you're like, I, I don't, I've got nothing to say. And then if you don't say anything, oh, well, he refused to comment, yeah. comment and refused to speak. And you're sort of going, well, I don't, I don't owe you anything. I don't, mm. Why should I speak to you? I don't know. You're a stranger. Yeah. Just because you're a newspaper yeah. doesn't mean you have some sort of authority over me. Like, mm. I, I didn't ask for you to write about me like this. Yeah. Like, just... And, and, and people go, oh, well, you, you know, you have to accept that that's all part of it. And I'm going, I don't, I don't know that you do have to accept that. You know, mm. I, I wanted to be a performer and, and be a, you know, and entertain people and, and Strictly was the, the best outlet for my, for, for ballroom dancing. So I wanted to be a part of that. And because yeah. um, it's the best for me, it's the best show on TV. Like, and I don't, you know, I don't accept that necessarily that means that you're then fair game for people to wait outside your front door yeah. and write opinions about you as a person. Mm. Like, I don't see why that should be the case. But I understand that it does but happen. But that's the cost of success. Yeah. Because there's always a cost. People are going to talk about you and, and, and whatever. So I do accept that it is going to happen, and it's just how you deal with it. And I'm getting, like I say, with it, like with all the other stuff, I'm getting better at mm. dealing with it now. Yeah. For a time, I found it really difficult. And mm. I would read everything. And I'd be, oh, no, they've said this about me. And yeah. I'm starting to understand that it doesn't really matter. Mm. And actually that people don't care. Yeah. People are not reading all this stuff about you all the time. People just get on with their own lives. Yeah. People just want to make sure their kid gets off to school all right and come home and... and you know, they, they want to go out for a meal and watch Netflix and mm. get a promotion in their job, like normal life stuff, yeah. you know, plan their next holiday, whatever the thing is that they want to do. That's what mm. they care about. They don't care about what, what's going on with you, really. Yeah. You might see it for a second and then scroll on to the next thing. Mm. Yeah, so I'm, <laughs> I'm getting better at it. Yeah. And you said to me as well that if you haven't got 
haters, then you're probably not doing enough. Mm. You're not doing your job well enough. Yeah. So it's just remembering that. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Let's change tack a bit. Okay. Um, so there was a time when you couldn't afford your dance lessons. There was a time when you had to sleep in your car, mm. I believe. So can you take us back to that time, maybe when you were struggling the most in your career? Yeah. And take us on a little bit of a journey of how you got to where you are now, which is, you know, right at the top of your game. Um, so with the, the ballroom dance competition world, which I was a part of for so long, is really expensive. Like, it's a lot of money for lessons with the top coaches, for outfits, for traveling all over the world all the time, for different competitions, for training camps, you know, whatever you've got to do. And it's money that I didn't have. And um, I was constantly trying to sort of do nine to five office jobs, trying to hold down, you know, I worked in um, a, uh, an office equipment sort of stationary wholesaler <laughs> in an office, just taking orders. I was doing like tele sales, which I just hated. <laughs> Can you imagine me oh, yeah. with all of my insecurities? No, off. no, no, off. <laughs> no, stop yeah. talking yeah. to me. No, why are you ringing me? Just that all day. Yeah. Like, I hate myself. I hate myself. <laughs> I don't want to annoy these people. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Um, just constant rejection. Um, yeah, tele sales selling like gas and electricity. I think it was like Virgin Energy I did. I, mm. I was trying to sell Sky TV. I was trying to sell MBNA credit cards, <laughs> uh, like standing out of Morrison's, you know, yeah. like trying to get people, uh, sign up for this credit card, sign up for some debt and get a free toy bunny rabbit. <laughs> like <laughs> just doing this, trying to hold down those, hating it, um, earning very little money and kept getting sacked on these jobs because I couldn't commit to being there nine to five Monday to Friday because mm. of all my dancing. Um, so I kept getting sacked. And then when I had no money, I'd have to keep asking my mum and dad for money, which was horrible. I, like, I hated it that I kept having, like, it was the worst call. Just calling, and, and my mum and dad were so supportive of my career. Like, they would give just everything they had to it. Like, to, to them, it was like, that's what they were investing in. That was their big investment, was me yeah. and my sister. Like, just the, anything for us to be able to do what we wanted. Um, and my mum and dad were going further and further into debt. They were bar borrowing money like against their house. They, then my grandma like, had our um, inheritance money that, that we were going to have. That, like, she took that out early to give to us, wow. like to me and my sister. Anything that would help us along with our career. But, but it's horrible like, asking your mum and dad for money all the time. So if I could avoid it, I would. So mm. I was doing whatever jobs I could to earn whatever money I could um and and I would just I'd be asking my mates like who were earning more than me in dancing like if they were like got some gigs some shows or whatever I'm like can I drive you to the to the show like for 50 quid can I drive you to to this gig mm. yeah 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 so was, I'm, they'd throw me a bone here and there <laughs> like just for that 50 quid which would get me enough petrol to get me to my next yeah. dance lesson yeah. somewhere else in the country or whatever um but sometimes it was a case of Right, I've got this money. I've got four lessons tomorrow. I've got this money. I can't afford all of it, so I'm going to have to say to one of my teachers, can I pay off or something happened with my bank? Can I pay you another time? That's going to be embarrassing, but I'll have to do that. But I've got enough for three lessons. Um, but I've got nowhere to stay while I'm down here. Sometimes I'd stay, because my mum and dad are up in Grimsby. My lessons would be in South London. My nan lived like in Hemel Hempstead. 
I was like, I can spend money on petrol to get up to Hemel Hempstead, stay there the night and back again, but then I won't have enough money for two lessons. Or if, no one, if there's no, no one's sofa to crash on around here, I can just sleep in my car and stay down here and, and use the money on lessons because I don't want to use that other option of calling my mum and dad. Mm. So a lot of the time, that's what I would do. And I fell into a habit of doing that. I would yeah. just be like, this is what I do now. I, mm. just, I was just living in my car. I would turn up and have a wash and brush my teeth at the sink in the dance studios and go in for my dance lessons with the same clothes that I'd been practicing in the night before, stinking. <laughs> and just, it must have been horrible for my dance teachers. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I'd just be living out of my car. But it, but it was all... Because my, I guess, number one value was, I'm, at that point, was I'm going to be world champion dancer one day. Yeah. Like, it was all going towards that. This is what I'm going to achieve. Now, whether it was what I wanted or whether it was what someone, like, I thought I wanted or my parents wanted, or yeah. that, that's another thing. I guess it must have been what I wanted because I did spend so much energy on it. So whether it was that my value was I wanted to achieve it for me or whether I wanted to achieve it for my parents, you know, mm. I don't know, but um, I wanted to achieve it. So everything was dedicated towards making that happen, just becoming as good as I can be. Mm. And um, Was there like a big break or a moment where you thought, actually, things are starting to turn in my favour? Um, I suppose in competitions um, is when I was dancing like with, with my my partner at the time, Anna, from Russia, um, she, um, we decided not to dance in the, uh, the... The big competition of the year is the British Open Championships, which is basically like what Wimbledon is to tennis, that is to ballroom dance world. And we were in the under-21s category, but we decided, um, for different reasons, not to dance in the under-21s. We decided to dance in the, the Open Amateur Championships. Um, which was like all the best couples in the world. And um, we made the semi-final one wow. year from being like, I think in, this was in like May. In January, we'd been, we were ranked about, I think we were ranked 100 and something in the world. And we made the semi-final, which is the top 12 in the mm. world. It's like someone having this big breakthrough at Wimbledon, suddenly yeah, making yeah. the semi-final um, for out of nowhere, like mm. unseeded. Yeah, isn't it? yeah. Um, so at that point, I thought, oh, right, we're on, we're on our way here and you're sort of making a name for ourselves because people, people notice that and that yeah. carries you a bit. And, you, know, you get this momentum. Sure. And, oh, they're, they're the new ones. And then we started doing well. But then actually... Just finish the story in a sec. Yeah. Just quickly put us into context. How old were you then and how old were you when you started dancing? Started dancing when I was four. Yeah. Um, I was, then I must have been 20 years old. Right, wow. Sorry, carry on. Yeah. Just, yeah. Um, uh, but then actually after that, I, I it's a long story short, I, I sort of started to understand a lot of the politics that went on in the competition world and didn't like it and realized that there was a route to winning the world championships that you could kind of pay for that wasn't necessarily based on talent and hard work. Um, and I started to really fall out of love with it and I didn't like how I was dancing. I didn't like how, I felt like I was just trying to dance in a way to impress these judges. I wasn't enjoying any part of it. I wasn't enjoying the training. And I was like, how much is this trophy really worth to me? Mm. 
and I had a bit of a moment of, I don't want to do this anymore. And I, and I gave up completely. I gave up the competition world because it just wasn't important to me anymore, winning this world championship. And I didn't like the politics mm. and I wasn't enjoying it. So I packed it all in and um, I got offered a place in a dance company called Burn the Floor, which later on would go on to be one of the most important things in my life. Yeah. Um, and it was this company of, of dancers who thought the same as me. They didn't care about the competition world or like competing against each other. They just wanted to entertain and work together and see how far they could push choreography. And I suppose feeling like I'd really made it was when I made it to Broadway with, with Burn the Floor. We went from being a, a company that was performing in a casino to 15 people or a theme park to a couple of people. Um, we made it to Broadway and we'd got this seven month contract, no, sorry, seven week contract, seven or eight weeks on Broadway. But we were selling out the theatres, word of mouth went round, it's a brilliant show and we kept getting extended just through pure demand. Mm. And we stayed on Broadway for, I think it was about eight months. Wow. Um, which was just an incredible, incredible experience. Mm. And then I guess a moment after that, feeling like I'd made it, was when my first season on Strictly Come Dancing. Yeah. Because I'd been wanting to get on the show for a couple of years, been rejected, got on the show. Um, and then I suppose at Blackpool, when me and Susanna Reid did a Paso Doble, and it had gone from being, oh, they're quite fucky and underdoggy, you know, like, like Susanna and me as, as a combination were very sort of much the underdog of that series. And then we, she did Paso at Blackpool, danced a blinder, got tens from the judges, wow. and the audience went mental. <laughs> like, it was so loud in there. Like, yeah. I was told afterwards that apparently we broke the um, decibel level oh, really? record in the, uh, in the Tower Ballroom for yeah. how loud it was that night. And um, af after, yeah, I suppose at that moment, I thought, really made something happen here. Yeah. Yeah. And then, wow. Yeah. Exciting. Yeah. And then more recently, like, getting the job on Rock of Ages. Yeah. Like, I, I, I was really proud of that because I, I love doing other stuff now, singing and acting as well. Mm. But I wanted people to take me seriously at it, that it wasn't just like, oh, no, he's just a guy from, yeah. from Strictly. You know, that, he's a born dancer. Yeah. I wanted people to take me seriously as a singer and actor. And I think how well Rock of Ages has gone and people are starting to take me seriously in mm. that capacity. Um, that feels really nice yeah i'm starting to go into a zone where i'm getting squirmy about saying it again but like yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it does feel nice that like it does feel like a real achievement mm. well yeah. obviously i've been to quite a few of your shows i want to keep coming to more yeah um and, and i saw you we, you came to burn the floor in peterborough didn't you yeah um and what struck me i was surprised how well you sung because yeah. of what i know Cheers. of you as a dancer yeah but also you're speaking because of quite a lot of that you were talking to the audience yeah. You'd basically orating. Mm. And I thought you were funny, engaging, held the audience, knew how to whoop the audience up. <laughs> You're a man, man of many talents, Kev. Oh, cheers. Yeah. It's, I'm also quite enjoying making you squirm. I know, on your own podcast. I know, I know, I know. It's, I don't know. It's so strange. There's, there's moments, like I say, as I'm sat here now, I'm like the most insecure person in the world that doesn't have a lot of confidence there are moments on stage if i am 
let's go down that route and just say things and yeah. try not to squirm. Yeah. There are moments on stage where, I don't know, something happens. And in that moment, I feel supreme confidence. Yeah. Like I'm, there are moments where, on stage, where I genuinely believe I'm the greatest entertainer on earth. Yeah. Like, I've got a pretty good idea that I'm not. <laughs> yeah. But, like, logically. Mm. But there are moments when I'm in it, when I'm in the moment where I'm The Rock. Yeah. Or I'm Robbie Williams. Like, I'm just, yeah. I'm Freddie Mercury. Mm. And, I, and I can do anything. And, and you feel, when you're in that, it's like a state of flow and confidence where mm. you feel like you could say anything, do anything on stage, be completely free, and everyone will, will love it. And I love those moments. Like, like, but then I come off stage and start judging the whole thing and go, oh, I don't know if they enjoyed that. Or mm. And beat myself up, beat myself up. I, I hate myself, I hate myself, I hate myself. I'm not sure I can go on and do it again tomorrow night. Mm. And before the show, I'm nervous, I'm nervous, I'm nervous. I, I, oh, God, I, I'm, I need to go through a whole routine to get myself either like a, a power move before going on stage yeah. you know, in that, you know, what Tony Robbins does, yeah, you know. Yeah a power move before going on stage to try and snap me into the zone, all of this stuff. Um, but I'm so nervous before going out before every show. Like I'm, I'm such like stage fright. Mm. What's everyone going to think? What's my colleagues on stage going to think? Yeah. Not just the people in the, in the audience, mm. but then when, when I'm in the moment, when I'm on stage, that's when I feel my most confident in the moment. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and, and there I feel like I can, I can do anything, mm. which is probably why I love it so much. Yeah. Because for as much as I'll beat myself up outside of it and worry about what everyone thinks, the actual moment when it's happening, I can... Worth all the pain. Yeah, yeah, and I sort of lose myself. Mm. Um, not lose myself, lose the negative bits yeah. of myself. The critical mind that kicks yeah. in, yeah. that starts to question. It's funny as well, because sometimes you can feel really good about yourself and then immediately feel guilty about feeling good about yeah. yourself. Yeah. And that that critical mind comes in or yeah. be careful don't get cocky don't get complacent don't be arrogant yeah instead of just breathing that moment in for as long as possible yeah it's like there are, yeah the nights you come off and go oh i was wicked tonight yeah i was really good tonight and the crowd were really loud and what what, what a brilliant night but then you quickly go and don't say that out loud yeah do not say that out loud but you don't have to do you no say it to yourself no yeah. but then but then also you do start going all right, Kev, do, do you, you really think you're good? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you start being you, that own, you know, that person that you, that you think everyone's saying that about mm. you, you start saying that to you, which is madness. Mm. But yeah, like I say, I I'm, I'm, think I'm getting better at it. I'm just yeah. learning to enjoy it a bit better mm. rather than put so much pressure on the end result yeah. and just enjoy the process a bit more. Mm. Um, yeah, but I, I, I do love it. I, I, I love performing and it's in that moment, like I... I find it difficult to, in a crowd of people, I find it difficult to be the confident one mm. or talk very much. But on stage, I have those moments of like, I can be the most confident person in the world, mm. which is probably why I do it. Yeah. Yeah. Should we do a quick fire round? Okay. All right, then. We've got a few here. I mean, you can answer them as long as you want. Yeah. But you, you said you don't understand why people listen to three-hour podcasts, so let's not make this a three-hour <laughs> Great. So uh, do you have any role models? And if you do, tell us about 
one or more of them. Low, uh, yeah, I'll try and keep it short, yeah, but like yeah. I have loads of role models. Yeah. Um, yeah, they've played a big part in my life. Like um, I've mentioned him a few times throughout this, The Rock. Yeah. I'm a big wrestling fan. <laughs> so I've, I've loved wrestling since I was a kid and I still watch it now every yeah. week. Um, and The Rock was just an incredible entertainer that had this ability to hold an audience in the palm of his hand. Yeah. Brilliant at talking. Like when you say, oh, you, you're really good at like talking to the audience on the mic. Mm. Half of what I do is sort of stolen from The Rock. Yeah. Or Robbie Williams. Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> as of what I've seen them do. Yeah. Or, or how they go about it. Um, little sort of mannerisms and, or ways of timing how you say things. Yeah. Like, like I, The Rock is just an expert at that. Mm. And, and also I've seen him as an entrepreneur. I've seen mm. him go from being someone who wanted to play American football didn't quite happen for him. He went into wrestling, conquered it, and then has gone into movies and ventured out into all sorts of yeah. projects. And ballers, I love and, watching ballers. Yeah, like, you can tell he's kind of living his life through that series. Yeah. yeah. But also, and, and this goes across most of my mentors, anyone that's sort of talks about going after what you want, hard work, like that. So like, you know, anyone that's sort of motivating to listen to, that's, that's how I found you. Mm. Like, like I discovered you on, on your part, on the Disruptive Entrepreneur podcast because um, I was in, in a zone of wanting to be more entrepreneurial and learning about it. And, and I just, you know, so I've typed in entrepreneur podcasts or something and I've come yeah. across yours. And, and, uh, <clears throat> and every time you were, you were talking, it'd get me all riled up. And I, I'd be like, yeah, I've got to do this and I've got to make sure I'm doing that. And um, you know, so like Gary V is a big one for me because yeah. um, he's just so motivating and mm. like, just go and do it. Stop yeah. talking about it. Do it, do it. Take action. Da, 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 da. Um, Tony Robbins, yeah. you know, anyone who's of that ilk, yeah. um, I love. Um, and which, again, is another reason for doing this podcast because I think that's how I live my life. I do... Like, if there's something I really want to achieve, I will work really hard at it mm. to, to make it happen. And I don't think there's any substitute for hard work um, in the right places because you've got to work smart mm. as well, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, no point just humping a tree all day long. Yeah, so you can exactly. work really hard at that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Robbie Williams as a performer yeah. was probably my biggest inspiration. Rob, Robbie and The Rock. Yeah. Um, is Robbie because he's just that guy I kind of relate to him <laughs> that sounds really arrogant just saying oh yeah I really relate to Robbie Williams I'm just like him um obviously he's on a completely different scale but there's something about Robbie being kind of a normal northern lad yeah who sort of is not even necessarily the most naturally gifted singer mm. in the world like I consider myself the most naturally gifted dancer in the world but he uh he works hard and he places a lot of importance on just trying his best and entertaining yeah and and he's a brilliant entertainer he, he, he really knows how to and 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 loves entertaining an audience yeah and um i just love the way he goes about that and how he how he makes an audience feel yeah and he's very real and when i listen to him talking in interviews and stuff on podcasts that he's been on or radio interviews or whatever, he's also very vulnerable. And so hearing him talk about a lot of his insecurities and anxieties, mm. like he has all of those same things, all of those fears about what people yeah. think about him, 
Like he's riddled with it and yet still goes out and gives these great performances. So yeah, Robbie, The Rock. Yeah. And then you're sort of motivating people like yourself, Gary V, Tony Robbins. Yeah. Russell Brand. Yeah. Like he's, uh, I love listening to him just because he's, uh, he's been through a lot of struggles in his life and he's turned it around and he's talking about it a lot and, and um, using what he's learned in how to sort of develop as a person himself. Yeah. He, he's talking about it a lot to, to help other people. And I think that's wicked. So I love, I love listening to him and seeing mm. what he's up to and, and and he achieves a lot as well. He's a, you know, for mm. all of his. He's brilliant on social media. I love yeah. the way he's brought social media into his comedy. Yeah. That's actually how you met, isn't it? Wasn't someone living and saw you in the <laughs> audience? It was, he, he was filming a Facebook live yes. part of his stand-up. Which he, someone must have done at some point and that must have been a risk. And an agent yeah. must have said, oh, don't do that. Yeah. And he did it anyway. Yeah, yeah. it was like the one part of his set that was like, kind of improvised every mm. night depending on the audience he'd bring a camera on stage and put the camera on the audience and he'd be riffing with them and like laughing about things da, 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 da. and um the camera came onto the guy behind me and so i was on screen on stage in like the four like, like the front of the shot and yeah. someone in the audience went oh it's kevin clifford from Strictly. <laughs> and i was like oh and, and my catastrophizing brain yeah. went oh no he's not stop it stop it stop it you're annoying him he's, he's not gonna know who i am yeah he's not there's no way russell brand watches strictly um and he went what i love strictly <laughs> i love kevin clifton where is he let's get him and got me up on stage and we were laughing and duh, 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 yeah. you know and all this and then we sort of stayed in touch and then he's been really helpful in sort of like helping me figure out some of my stuff that yeah. i've been going through and you know as i already said with a few things and like, I just think he's brilliant I think he's brilliant to listen to mm. um, and you know his books and, and, and everything stuff he does on social media yeah. but at the same time he's been a really high achiever like mm. he's, he's a brilliant comedian and actor and yeah. everything that he's done yeah great is there one thing in the world of dance that if you could change it you would remember uh, this is quick fire round yeah <laughs> I, would, I would change the importance in the ballroom competition world on it being a sport and, um, and the politics of those competitions. Yeah. So somehow there would need, the, the judging system needs to be reformed because mm. it's people's coaches are doing the judging. Yeah. So people's coaches are judging, are saying, oh, I teach them, they're my couple, so they're going to get a better mark than that couple who's not my, my mm. couple. Um, so it's like someone's tennis coach just being deciding... He hit the ball past him. No, I've decided that that one hit the net. Yeah. And he's like, no, it didn't hit the net. He hit it past him. No, he's my student. I'm his coach. I've decided that you hit the net, so he's going to get the point. And that's basically how the ballroom dance world operates in terms of judging. Mm. And so everyone's trying to dance in line with what's going to get them the result. Yeah. And there's less and less importance on feeling and entertainment and emotion and storytelling and all these things that I think is important in mm. dance. And they want it to be a sport that's in the Olympics. And I'm like, it's not. It's yeah. not a sport. It's an art and it's entertainment. Yeah, that's mm. my change. Okay, great. Um, I don't know if this is a good question or not, <laughs> but I'm going to say it anyway. And if it doesn't work, it's your podcast. <laughs> um, if there's one person on the planet you could dance with, who would that be? I keep changing on this. Um, 
I answered it the, the other day in, term, in, in terms of Strictly, like a celebrity on Strictly. For some reason, I don't know why, but I just, I'd, I'd, if she'd ever do it, I think Dawn French should be wicked. I yeah. have no idea why. I just met her a few times and I think she's, she's really funny and she's, she's cool. She's mm. like, she's wicked. I think she'd be good. But um, on the planet, um, I don't know, because I feel like in, in dancing, I've sort of achieved pretty much everything I want to achieve, actually, in terms of me dancing with people. There's more stuff that I want to achieve in terms of producing stuff. Mm. Um, and make, and okay, how about if there's <clears throat> one person on the planet you'd love to work with in any capacity? Robbie Williams. Yeah. Yeah. Robbie Williams. We need to put the word out. Maybe you yeah. could get him on your podcast one day. Yeah, oh, I'm God, sure you that could. That would be the ultimate. Yeah. The absolute ultimate. I'd love, yeah. I'd love, I've worked, he came on Strictly and yeah. I, and I um, was one of the dancers in his routine, that he, like in his uh, thing that, song that he was doing on Strictly mm. once. And I was so excited and I had all this stuff that I wanted to say to him <laughs> and that I wanted to ask him, um, wh whatever. And I just, I turned into a, a, like a little girl. <laughs> I, was, like, I didn't know what to do. And, and, and I, I sort of, someone had told one of his people that I was his biggest fan or something. Can you just go and say hello to him? Yeah. Like I'm so kind of, <laughs> I could have just walked up to him. Like he was being really nice with everyone. Like he was just a genuine guy. Mm. Like he was being so like lovely with everyone. And I could have just gone and said hello. And I'm sure he would have said hello back. Yeah. But I, I was too nervous. And, and he walked up and, and I was wearing like a ballroom tail suit. And he just sort of walked up to me and went, oh, uh, that, that, that looks smart, because he'd just been told to give me some time. <laughs> um, yeah, that looks smart. What's, what's that? Is that a, that a cummerbund you're wearing under there? I went, yeah, yeah, it's a cummerbund, yeah. <laughs> and that was it. And that was my whole interaction with my idol and hero in life. It was like, I went, yeah, it's a cummerbund, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we had a picture together, and I had way too much fake tan on for that episode of Strictly. So it was just like this, and I looked really orange, like next to him, and it was like so embarrassing. But I'd, yeah, I'd love to do something with him. Yeah. Yeah, that would be amazing. Wow, stranger things have happened. Yeah. Um, what's the weirdest thing that's happened to you that maybe people don't know about? The weirdest thing? Yeah. The weirdest thing? Um... The weirdest thing that's ever happened to me. I don't know. I don't know how to answer that question. The weirdest thing that's ever happened to me. And I know one time I made, I made a complete arse of myself. Yeah, that'll do. Let's have that one. <laughs> it was the first time I auditioned for a musical. It was like in 2010 for, for Dirty Dancing in the West End. And I didn't understand. It was my, I didn't have any experience. So it was my first... Um, it was my first go at like doing an audition mm. and it was the acting part of the audition and i had when they say oh can you read for this part i didn't understand that they literally meant you can stand there with your script with the person next to you and read the scene with them that's what they mean i didn't understand that i thought well they're going to want me to know the whole script off by heart there's no way they mean read it they're, they're going to want me to 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 play it you know and play out the whole scene and because I didn't have any experience and, and whatever, and I'm, I'm, I've often been accused I'm such an over-performer, like I'm so extra when I'm performing. I'm yeah. not like a subtle performer. Um, so I went, I walked in there, and there was a girl stood there with, the, um, with her piece of paper, just stood in the middle of the room ready to read it. And, and I walked in sort of thinking, 
right? And they're like, okay, if you can just, you know, just whenever you're ready, I threw my script down on the floor. <laughs> like your jacket moment. Yeah. <laughs> I don't need that. And they thought, oh, what's he doing? What's he doing? And then I launched into the scene that what I thought in my head was like, you know, I'm, I'm De Niro. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm giving them gold. I'm giving them De Niro's mirror scene here. Yeah, yeah. Like, like I'm giving them, they won't have experienced anything like this. And what I was kind of giving them on reflection was Jim Carrey, Ace Ventura. Yeah. Like, David I was just, Brent, the office. David, <laughs> yeah, to, so David Brent. Like, like totally over the top, thinking I was really good. Totally over the top. Mm. Um, and I was grabbing hold of the girl. I was like moving her around the room. And, and, and I could see it was like a panel of, of judges like they are on like X Factor. Sat there like this, sort of just looking at me in shock. And I was all over the room. And then there was the scene that I was reading for, like the character that I was reading for. In that scene, he opens a fridge and he's um, doing, oh, do you want this? Do you want that? Do you want that? All these different foods. And I'd memorized it. I'd like read a book by Darren Brown. So I'd like figured out how to memorize the whole list. And, and, and I, I was like, right, I've got this. But then I was so in the scene in terms of acting it all out that I thought I can't just pretend to open a fridge and be going like that. That looks stupid. So I went over to the window in the room, opened the window like it was a fridge <laughs> and then started picking things up off the floor, off their table, off the windowsill. Like, the, do you want a sandwich? Do you want a pickle? Do you want an egg? Do you want it? Like wh whatever it was. I was picking up their bottle of water, a piece of paper and this and this. I was got, like just moving stuff around the room. And they must have been just like, what? Why is this idiot here? <laughs> and who let him in? Like, <laughs> did you get the part? I, I got the job on Dirty Dancing, but not that part. No. <laughs> I was like, Probably a sympathy like, vote. I, I got, he tried like, hard. I got like ballroom dancer number one yeah. with no lines. Or like, <laughs> like yeah. I wasn't, I didn't have any like acting scenes where I had to say lines or I wasn't even mic'd up. So they weren't even hearing my backing vocals on some of the singing. Mm. Um, but they thought that I'd, like the dancing audition went well. Yeah. Yeah. That was one of the most ridiculous things that ever happened to me, I guess. But I thought I'd be brilliant. Mm. Yeah. I, and how do you feel afterwards? Did you start beating yourself up afterwards? Yeah. So you'd overdone it? Yeah. yeah. I felt stupid. Yeah. <laughs> because they just looked at me and went, okay. Um, well, that was a very enthusiastic performance, <laughs> yeah. Kevin. Thank you for that. Can we try it again? And maybe just, just take your script and just stay still <laughs> and just read it. And I just felt like an absolute idiot. Mm. And then at that point, I was like, Okay, I think if I want to take this seriously, I'm probably going to have to study. I'm mm. going to have to like do some acting lessons and not just think that you can do it just because you're a dancer. It's mm. a bit more difficult than that. Mm. Yeah, so I started taking up acting after that. But yeah, I felt like an idiot. So you've actually trained yourself in mm. acting and singing. It's not just something you naturally can do. Um, no, no, I've, I've been having lessons. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I'm, it's weird, like later in, later in life, like I'm 80, um, <laughs> But like the older I get, the more I'm, the more I love learning. Mm. I'm really interested in learning. So now more and more, it's not even becoming about like, I've got to achieve this. I want to be an actor. I want to win an Oscar. Yeah. It's more about, I just want to learn. Like I want to experience like acting yeah. and, and try it and, and be a part of it. And, and like, like I just feeding off information in school, it's like you hate it. Yeah. You don't want to be there. Like now you realize like, if, if, if I could be at school now, I'd love it because it's just learning. Like, it's just you going and learning stuff. Yeah. People are being paid to teach you stuff. But also great. the great thing about when you work for yourself 
and you have your own career. Because mm. I reckon if you were sent back to school to learn geography and maths, you may not love learning if you're not into geography and maths. Yeah, yeah. But you can pick and choose what you learn yeah, that's applicable that's into mm. your life. That's why I love being an entrepreneur because yeah. I can pick and choose a lot of good information out there, podcasts, audiobooks. But also I know I can learn that information and implement it into my life and see a result. Yeah. If you're in the public sector in a job you don't enjoy, you might learn something, but you can't push it through the, a wall. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. I'm not like, like, I love learning now, but I'm not picking up a maths textbook. No, you love learning what you can what put you into learn. your own life. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah, and yeah. get the feedback of, hey, I'm actually getting better at this. Mm. And that becomes self-fulfilling. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I've been like, like books and that. It's been all like lately over the last year, loads of like sort of self-development yeah. type books um, or yeah, just anything where I can learn something or biographies of mm. successful people. And, and, and again, that's another reason for like wanting to do this. Yeah. I, wanna, I want to hear from other performers and learn from them and, mm. and, and then talk about it more myself you know, yeah. on, on these podcasts so that it can help other people who want to be mm. performers or, or, or people that are just interested in it. Yeah. You know, just all like that learning process. So in terms of guests that you might get on the show, obviously... There's plenty of guests you'll get that you haven't even thought of yet and you haven't mm. lined up. Are you going to stick strictly into the dance performing world or are you going to look for performers, entertainers, artists, creatives in anything. a wider? Anything, yeah, because yeah. it's, all, it's all mindset, the mindset of what goes into a performance, how they prepare for it, um, how they, you know, just how they go about it, how they train, how do they beat themselves up or mm. not, their insecurities, you know, how they get to a place where they feel confident about it. Why do they do it? You know, yeah. all, all of these things. And, and I want to hear from actors, singers, dancers, directors, choreographers, casting directors, mm. speakers, yeah. presenters. Um, yeah. Anything, anyone that's in any, in any way sort of performing yeah. um, or interested in performing or performance mm. um, in any way. That's who I want to hear from. It's all yeah. the mindset stuff that I love talking yeah. about. Yeah. Mm. Okay, final two questions. Mm. Um, what's the best advice you've ever received? And what's the worst advice you've ever received? Give you a couple of seconds I to think about that. I should have known that you asked me this. Yeah, yeah. You might have borrowed that from a podcast. <laughs> 400 episodes <laughs> yeah, worth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, what's the best advice you've ever received? We'll start with that one. Um, or good advice that you can remember that comes to top of mind. Now, now, mm. like what the sort of thing that I'm thinking about right now is um that whole thing that we've said about get you've got to get in touch with what you want and with who you are as a person and don't let other people determine that yeah. don't let don't don't be um ruled by other people's social ideals um don't don't be ruled by expectations uh, of others or what what you think you should be putting out there to please others all the time. Mm. Um, get, really get in touch with, with what, what it is that you want out of life and the person that you are, not the person you think you should be yeah. for, for other people. Because I've, I've lived the opposite of that for most of my life. But now I'm starting to live a lot more for what I want and it, it feels a lot better. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And... Maybe it's a shame to finish on this, or maybe not. What's the worst advice you've ever received? The worst advice I've ever received. Um, 
Your worst advice. Probably, and I know, I know you'll agree with this, is that, that um, just people saying that you, um, you're not, you should, probably shouldn't think about that. Say, like, thinking about doing a certain career. You probably shouldn't think about that because you're going um, to need to train for however many years and, and do all of this stuff um, before you can do that. Um, so you probably shouldn't even consider it. Whereas, actually, the best way of of learning how to do something is often just to throw yourself in. As I guess you would say, mm. start now, get perfect later. Yeah, um, yeah it, it's that. Just throw yourself in and, and, and don't worry about getting it wrong sometimes. Mm. Um, whereas the worst advice would be, no, 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 I can't, you can't do that yet because I'm not good at it enough yet. Yeah. Yeah. You don't risk anything. You risk everything. If you that don't kind risk anything. <laughs> you risk everything. Yes. Yeah. Maybe I should use that as a tagline for Maybe my podcast. Maybe you should. Why yeah. not? You can. Um, it's trademarked, but you could. <laughs> cool. Well, look, Kev. I want to say thank you for coming on your own podcast. Yeah. Um, I've really enjoyed doing this. Yeah. Me too. Um, I've told you already that one of the most exciting things I've got going on, and I've got a lot going on in my life, is working with you and doing your podcast. I'm really excited that the world's going to see a side of you. Maybe they don't know. Yeah. You know, not not some just a vulnerable side, mm. but the side of um, ongoing personal development and all the things you love to learn about. I think there's you, there's a lot of sides to you that the world doesn't know mm. yet, and I'm excited that the world's going to see that. Mm. So, looking forward to helping you produce your podcast and get it out yeah. to as many people as possible. Yeah, thank you. Here we all go, right. eh? Nice one. Let's do it. Get perfect later. Yeah. <laughs>